Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So the 2022 NBA draft is in the books. And having had some 72 hours now to let the results marinate, I have a few takeaways. One... I had to smile when the Orlando Magic surprised everyone by taking Paolo Bancaro with the number one pick. I smiled because I loved it. If I were drafting for a team, he would have been my pick. Now, full disclosure, I don't do a ton of pre-draft work anymore. I know plenty of scouts and executives, but I don't have to prognosticate And I don't, while I watch some of the college game, I don't watch it deeply. I don't watch it enough to say that I have a feel for who should go where and who's going to be what. The teams that spend years and tons of money on that are better at it, although it's still a crapshoot for them as well. But in any case, I generally make my, my... or give my takes on who is going to be what after I see them in summer league gives me a a better perspective on who taken out of their college system, having to face the physical athletic ability of pro players with 10 pro players on the floor as they do in summer league gives me a much better feel for who's going to be able to make the adjustment. Who's going to be able to make the grade, but nonetheless, as, as I said, I do watch some of the college game and the demeanor, approach, ability of Ben Caro was just a guy that I immediately looked at and said, this guy is going to be a great pro. So if I were drafting for a team, he would have been my pick. I don't know if he's the most talented player in this draft. I don't know if he's going to wind up being the best player in this draft. I am just confident that whatever he's capable of being, 
he's going to be that or more. I am confident that he will play intelligently for me or the Orlando Magic. I am confident that he is not going to walk around expecting to be coached or treated a certain way because he was the number one pick. I was confident about his character watching him play for Duke this year. How he didn't flinch under pressure. How he played team basketball, even though he was touted all year as a potential number one pick. And for those who may not understand how those two are not necessarily compatible, when you're the number one or you think you have a chance at being the number one pick, as we saw with a couple of other players, you begin to look for yours. You begin to think, how can I be the number one pick? As opposed to, how can I get my team the furthest down the line? That's what I saw in Bancaro, in the way he played for Duke. He was always, he was always supportive of his, of his teammates. He was always looking to make the right play. He confirmed all of that with his reaction to being the number one pick. He was grateful, immensely grateful. He treated it as the honor that it should be treated. He recognized the faith that the Orlando Magic were putting in him. He didn't make any oversized, outsized pronouncements about what he was going to do or bring to the Magic. He reacted emotionally, but maturely. Kind of like the way he plays. I would be comfortable going to battle with a guy like that. And if I were spending the number one pick on someone, I would want to be comfortable going to battle with a guy like that. Now, all of that is not a knock on Cade Cunningham or any other recent pick, nor, nor is it a knock on Chet Holmgren or Jamari Smith. Jamar, excuse me, Jabari Smith. The Magic's decision just had an old school feel to it. They picked the guy, in my eyes, who earned the number one pick and has the temperament to deal with the pressure that comes with it. As I said on Colin Cowherd's show on FS1 the morning of the draft, there's pressure that comes with being the number one pick that is unlike the pressure on any of the other picks. Regardless of what position or role he plays, everything Bancaro does is a reflection of the Orlando Magic. He is a symbol of what they consider themselves to be. That's not going to be the same with Chet Holmgren and the Oklahoma City Thunder or Jabari Smith and the Houston Rockets. It's different for the number one pick. Generally, teams that have the number one pick also have not had a lot of success. That's why they have the number one pick. They often are searching for an identity, for a player who can give it to them. And like it or not, the number one pick creates an identity. And I would be good with my identity being defined by Paolo Bancaro. I also like that the Magic didn't bend to the pressure of letting everyone know way ahead of time who they were taking. Or certain reporters out there who utilize their influence and their platform, the size of their platform, to coerce teams into making sure that they're the ones that they're told first. Up until an hour before the draft, the reports were that Jabari would go number one. 
And I can assure you that the Magic did not decide an hour before the draft that they were taking Paolo. Or that they made some 11th hour discovery that prompted them to move off of Jabari. The amount of research and background checks that go into every player in the, not just the months leading up to the draft, for years there is intel being collected on players that show any indication that they might be a lottery pick. And then there's the weeks between a team knowing they are going to have their choice of all that talent available and the actual draft. All of, all of that time precludes that. Which is, when you think about it, is a little bit funny that teams still get it wrong. Because it's not as if they don't put a ton of time, personnel, and manpower into finding out everything they can about a particular player. Now, some of that that uncertainty is you just there's no way of predicting how a player is going to react to being financially set for the first time and all of the freedom that they may be experiencing for the first time as a pro really hard to figure out how a player is going to be affected or a young man is going to be affected by all that now the magic are a young team with no established leaders that's the, that's the environment that Paolo is walking into. That's the environment that Chet or Jabari would have been walking into. Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and Franz Wagner are all young players still trying to prove themselves. And from all every indication, they're good guys. Uh, may have leadership qualities. But it's not as if any one of them has taken the reins of this team just yet. And then there's their young coach, Jamal Mosley. Now, I anticipate Paolo figuring out how he can be part of their young core, how he can play alongside them, how he can help them be better in their own right. I don't get the sense from Holmgren, in particular, that he would have looked at being the number one pick in quite that way. He's out to prove people wrong about his body, about his readiness to be an NBA star, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's an agenda that is a little skewed and that being the number one pick would have only amplified or encouraged. I thought Chet's approach undermined Gonzaga at times this season, which is why at key moments, especially during the NCAA tournament, coach Mark Few didn't have him on the floor. Few turned to Drew Timmy to lead the Bulldogs when, when things got tough. The same way Few turned to Suggs last year and Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski turned to Bancaro. Not because Bancaro was going to take over, but because he was going to make the right play. It's one of the question marks I had about Purdue's Jaden Ivey. Supremely talented player. Has an NBA game already. I can't... I still in my mind have in the tournament where he split a double team, pushing the ball ahead uh, between, the, between the double team and splitting it, getting a bucket. Like that was a pro, it was a pro move at pro speed. But he also forced plays at times or took hero shots that either didn't need to be taken or sort of a bailout move and was ultimately not successful in taking those shots. 
Now, I think he's a nice addition or a nice fit with the Detroit Pistons compared to some of the other teams that could have drafted him because they have an established coach in Dwayne Casey. Can't say that about any of the other four teams that could have, or three teams that could have picked him. Four teams that could have picked him, excuse me. That's all I'm going to say about the draft at this point. Now, I'm planning to be, as I said, I'm, I'm planning to be in Salt Lake City and Las Vegas for the summer leagues unless my TV duties preclude me doing so. And if I'm not there, I will be watching from home, though I will say it's not quite the same as being there. There is so much interaction that goes on that the cameras can't cover, and the broadcasters generally play it very safe. They're not going to point up a squabble on the bench or a weakness of a player or a player getting looked off on the court. And that's where I wish there truly was a new media or a new standard, whether it's from the current color analysts or the ex-players looking to get into the business. Teams are a reality show and conflicts or disagreements are part of the package. I mean like a real reality show, not the kind of contrived reality shows. And when it comes to those conflicts or disagreements, there's nothing wrong with pointing them out. The broadcasters would actually be doing the players and teams a service by acknowledging them and putting them in the proper context right away. Because when they don't, it leaves it to secondhand parties to grab a clip of the incident and then generally go overboard, making them the issue or headline event in that game, even if it doesn't or that the incident doesn't merit that. Because it's, it's eye-catching. And most often, they are not. They don't deserve that kind of attention. But they are part of the fabric of the game. So acknowledging them and then recognizing how that incident was, how they got past it, whatever subsequent interaction or not, would put those in context and help prevent them from becoming bigger than they should be. So it's actually a disservice when broadcasts play it safe or try to avoid anything that might be controversial and why would they do that because they're broadcast partners that's why it would happen the other thing that's missing when uh, i'm not there in person is there's nothing like watching a game or watching young talent and being able to sit next to a gm or an executive or a scout and just trade notes and see how they react to what they're seeing Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So hopefully I will be in both places. Haven't locked down those travel plans yet, but uh, plan to. And you will be the beneficiaries of that because I will be, can be doing podcasts from there along with writing and TV and everything else. Um, before I go, I have to ask if anybody else is shocked by the young guns 
who are going at LeBron James's neck before they've ever stepped on an NBA court. Now, in case you missed it, Jaden Ivey has already said that he wants to dunk on LeBron. And the Pacers' Benedict Matherin said, LeBron is going to have to prove he's better than him. Matherin's way of expressing his belief that he's going into the league confident or with the confidence that he's better than everybody and anybody until proven otherwise. Now, both comments are disappointing on several levels, not the least of which is LeBron just deserves more general respect in that at 37. With Ivy, it infers a lack of professionalism or at least an understanding of what it is to be a professional. He's joining a 23-win Pistons team. He should have far more important aspirations than dunking on LeBron at this point in his career. It's also not that much of a statement if he does. If I'm not mistaken, Malcolm Brogdon dunked on LeBron last season. Dunking on LeBron at age 37, when he's a shadow of the defender he once was, is not much of a statement. Tell me you want to dunk on Marcus Smart or Bam Adebayo, or Rudy Gobert, or Giannis. Actually, don't tell me. Just do it. Do it, and do it within the context of a game. Do it at a time when it's meaningful. This isn't AAU, as much as the NBA sometimes feels like it is. For Benedict, it's not just disrespectful to LeBron, who doesn't have anything to prove at this point in his career, least of all to a rookie, but it's disrespectful to the entire league. I'm glad he's coming in with confidence. That's an important quality not just to have, but to maintain. And it's not easy to do, especially as a rookie. You're going to get your comeuppance at one point. But however Matherin feels, the fact of the matter is that there are plenty of players who are better than he is. That doesn't have to be proved. He has to prove He's capable of competing with them, that he is on their level, not the other way around. It's not just arrogant to say something like that. It's foolish. Making it in the NBA is hard enough. Putting yourself in the crosshairs of every player you face, providing them extra motivation to put you in your place, in no way helps Matherin or the Pacers. And that's where his focus should be. And if you don't think that every player that heard is seen what Matherin said isn't going to come at him with a little extra something, then you don't know professional sports or the NBA. Now, in a larger sense, it does point up where LeBron and the Lakers are. They are not feared the way they might have once been. Because... While Ivy and Matherin might have said it, I'm sure there are plenty of players coming into the league who are not intimidated by what they saw from LeBron or the Lakers last season. Guys smell blood in the water. Guys recognize when a lion doesn't have the same teeth. Those clinging to the fact that LeBron was in the running for the scoring title is some sign that he is still a force to be reckoned with don't see the game the way those playing it do. They, the players, might admire that LeBron did what he did, 
But that doesn't mean they see him as invincible or even intimidating because of it. Not when he can score 40 while the Lakers lose by 20, which happened. When Russell Westbrook led the league in scoring for a Thunder team that won 45 games and didn't make the playoffs, no one was shaking in their boots about facing him or them. When Dwayne Wade won the scoring title for a 43-win Miami Heat team in 2009, a team that then got bounced in the first round, no one looked at Wade as formidable. No one feared Dwayne Wade or the Heat. That came a couple years later when he and Chris Bosh and LeBron joined forces when Wade only averaged 25, didn't lead the league in scoring. It was five points less than he did leading the league in scoring, and yet people looked at Wade in a much different way because they looked at Miami Heat in a much different way. Being a force to be reckoned with has very little to do with statistics or where you stand in the league scoring or any other category. It's about stepping on the court, knowing that you're in for a long night because that dude and his team are not only capable of scoring or doing whatever else they do, but they're very good at stopping you from doing what you want to do. They make it hard for you to score and are going to score more than you are because of that and are more than likely going to win because of that. And it still comes down to who can win. I know we've lost sight of that at times. The Warriors, Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay and Andrew Wiggins, like they haven't lost sight of that, which is why they're champions. All of which, to circle back to Ben Caro, is why he is a worthy number one. Because his numbers were the most meaningful. Because they did more for Duke than Jabari or Jaden or Chet's numbers did for their respective teams. Winning should still matter. And the Orlando Magic gave us reason to believe it still does. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, where we have the KD Kyrie Irving saga with the Brooklyn Nets going down, and we should know uh, or should get a better feel for where DeAndre Ayton is headed next because he's not staying in Phoenix. We will delve into one of those subjects in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.